Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding, and John is joining us today. We've got a variety of topics to go through. We'll be touching on everyone's favorite GA4, especially in holiday time, just going through some quick tips to consider during the next couple of months of a day-to-day analysis with peak holiday. We'll be going through iOS 17, adblock, privacy, crackdown, a bunch of other stuff. John, welcome back. Thank you. All right, should we just should we just dive right in? We've got a, a ton of topics teed up here. Yeah, let's do it. This time we're doing it without video, so it's a little bit weird. It's like a phone call update or something like that. But let's jump in. You have a couple things, first of all. And then I also think we should quickly chat about that GA4 direct issue. But why don't you jump into your GA4 delay and stuff like that? Okay. So this is the time of the year. It never fails on Black Friday or even Thanksgiving. I will get at least multiple emails of people freaking out about used to be Google Analytics broken because there's no data uh, available either intraday or even from the previous day. And I'm here to unfortunately share the news that things won't be better this year with GA4. I would imagine everyone listening to this, this will be the first year going through Black Friday that you are going to be using GA4 and not Universal Analytics for monitoring performance for those of you that that rely on the actual UI of Google Analytics versus your own dashboard or another tool that you might be utilizing. So the long and short of it is, and I, I shared a before and after screenshot on my LinkedIn today that was actually actually came up from one of our daily sync internal trainings. But it was just a simple snapshot. And John, you've probably seen this quite a bit yourself where if it's noon today and I'm looking at yesterday, let's say it's Black Friday. And I'm looking at Thursday's performance, so Thanksgiving Day performance, Thanksgiving Day for US. I'm going to see potentially 50 to 60% of my traffic being not set or direct. And my sessions and users could be 50 to 60% of what the actual reality is. And if I come back on Saturday and I look back at Thursday, I could see a completely different report. So the data sets will be completely different for Thursday. I will see likely higher sessions, higher users, and the whole attribution issue between direct none and not set will essentially have resolved itself. Before we get into the so what can you do about it, have you seen this in your, I was just say in the last couple of weeks, couple of months, have you seen this in different customer accounts as well? Yeah, see it all the time. It makes you think, why didn't they just not show the data until it's processed? Because it's really hard. I mean, with people with little experience, they're probably going to look and think it's broken over and over and over again until they finally realize that it's unprocessed data they're looking at. I, I, I don't understand the logic, but yes, I see it all the time, getting constant questions about it, fr- frustrating little quirk of GA4. Yeah. I actually never even thought about that as an option of just don't show anything. <laughs> then that would, if there's no data for two days, then that definitely would be like, hey, GA4 is broken. There's no data coming through. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, even just a warning, just tell me, like, we can't show you the data. It's unprocessed during these dates. Come back tomorrow to see this date or something. Throw, throw us a bone, you know? Well, there was another another issue that came up 
late Friday night, this past Friday night, and customers looking at GA4 real time and was not, and was seeing purchase events. But if in the real time report, if you drill down into purchase events or any of the events, sometimes you'll get attributes that it'll potentially show order ID or whatever, whatever parameters that you're sending with that event. And it was empty. So then again, that immediately had that concern of purchase purchases are reporting zero revenue. Something's broken. And unfortunately it's just, it's a symptom of GA4 still relatively new. It's not going to behave like universal analytics. And really there's, you either have to wait for the data to finish processing inside the UI or you need to utilize the real-time streaming to BigQuery and then start building your reporting on top of that or using integrations like a source medium, Dacity, Tido, et cetera, that they can help r- reduce that latency that you otherwise might get. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, just to knock on that, we're going to, I'm going to tease something that I can't say for sure is going to happen, but we're working on making this better. We're, we're going to have an option and maybe we can talk a little bit about it later. But we're going to make it easier to look at real-time data soon with uh, an integration. And you know what? I've kind of already spilled the beans, so I'm, I'm not going to give the name because it's not completely official yet. But what we're trying to do, at least, and it looks very hopeful, is give essentially an instant dashboard, an instant real-time dashboard in a data platform that I think is the hippest data platform out there. It's what all the data science people use. It's really easy to use. It looks great and it's super reliable and it's cheap. It it makes it cheap to query lots of data, which often you have in in BigQuery in a a GA4 connection. So we're going to hopefully enable that soon. And then along with that, we're going to do like a playground thing. Because at the summit, we we talked a lot about getting your hands dirty and just like getting involved in the data and trying things out with SQL because it's not really, it's a new paradigm when you compare it to like Excel or Google Sheets, but it's not necessarily more difficult. So we're also going to offer essentially like a playground, like a really easy to set up, low stakes playground with this integration. So we are working on it. Put it in the chat. Okay. Okay. (laughs) One other thing we noticed, you talked about a problem on Friday. We've seen another problem where everything showing is direct in the traffic acquisition and user acquisition reports. Suddenly all the channels go to zero and everything is lumped into direct. And I researched it over the last couple of days and it turns out that it's another bug, unfortunately, in, in GA4. It's not yeah. in every account, but it's in, I, it looks like it's maybe 5 or 10%. So if you see that, it's probably not your setup. It's probably something to do with your instance. And it, does that only show itself through the UI versus if you were to look at the raw data? Yeah, that's a good question. I believe so because I don't think... Actually, I shouldn't even answer. I'd be speculating. Yeah, I'd be speculating. I don't know. Is there a Twitter account that just reports live known GA4 bugs? <laughs> we should have one, shouldn't we? Yeah. yeah. All right. So GA4, the TLDR, if you, I know it's late for most listening to this when it comes to holiday, but when in doubt, try to just link up your GA4 instance to BigQuery. There's two or three types of connections, just your daily daily dump and then the, the streaming, which is more real time. And then... You can do things like attach Data Studio to that. There was a training, a YouTube episode 
on this podcast with Gabriel Freeman that shows how to do that. Just just attach Google Sheets or a data studio on top. And we had another training with Stockton that did something similar. I think he was also, was, was his data studio or Google Sheets? Yeah, I think it was data studio. A lot of free resources out there if you want to try to DIY it yourself or uh, use one of those other services I mentioned earlier, uh, like the Dacity source medium titles of the world. All right. Another quick plug here for the Elevar Summit replays, as you mentioned, John. We So they're all sessions are cut up. They're on YouTube. They're on our YouTube channel. There's the live stream that'll give you just the raw live stream. And then we've cut up each one into individual episodes uh, as their own videos. So I highly recommend going to watch those. It definitely surpassed my expectations, the summit and the feedback that we received. I think the quality of content that all of the speakers brought was just was amazing. And I think that our audience who attended both virtually and in person really appreciated the, the in the weeds. So there was less fluff and, and more in the weeds. John, any any other feedback or learnings that, that you've gotten feedback yourself over the last month since we're officially past 30 days since the summit? Yeah, maybe just more of a plug for the next one. It's just the being there with everybody was really fun. New lots of new relationships both ways, you know, like client to client, client to people that we know. Never mind. The presentations were great and they were really focused and probably unlike much you've seen before, I, I would say, potentially. Like Brad said, super tactical stuff, really tactical, useful stuff, no kind of BS, like change your, your at the cart button from red to blue type stuff, but stuff that actually works. So of course, go check those out, but more so come to the next one. Yeah. Spring. Yeah. Spring. Yeah. All right. Let's get into iOS 17. I think generally it's been pretty quiet at least in my world of it started to roll out we we had i think our first episode on this podcast back in june when it was initially announced that it would be released in september but q4 busyness has taken over in terms of priority so there's been a little bit of talk about it but we and specifically you john started measuring the the imp so really looking at okay iowa 17 there, I think what gets lost in some of the marketing collateral that's out there today that initially everything was getting bucketed into link tracking protection, so LTP, and that was the, oh, they're stripping query parameters and that's going to crush your campaigns and it's going to be worse than iOS 14 and you have some individuals that are attaching to that fear-mongering point of view. But before we get into the other part of iOS 17, that is one I think, John, well, I'll hand this over to you, Generally speaking, talking to the platforms, it's kind of like it's not a big deal with the query parameters being stripped. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's, I mean, I can't talk about any specific platform, but we have been talking to a couple of them, a couple of the big ones. And my impression is they don't, they're not all all that concerned about the click IDs. They're very confident that if they have your email address, if you're, you know, coming from Facebook or Instagram or a Google Ads click, and you're logged in, that they will be able to connect you to the ad click. So I'm still not completely on board with this idea. I still think that you would want as much information as you possibly can get because if somebody's not logged into Chrome and they click on a Google ad, it's unlikely that person's going to get connected. But yeah, that's generally the impression that we've got is at least from these big platforms. Now, 
what it's different when you're talking about like an affiliate, right? What about an impact radius click? They're never going to connect you with an email address. It's much more dire. But they're not being stripped. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Just generally click IDs, I think, like it's important to some channels. And you're right. The ones that are of high concern, like Klaviyo, Impact, some of the other affiliate platforms aren't being stripped today. But generally, like in a landscape where click IDs are going to be stripped, I think those are the guys who will probably be hurt the very most. What would they do in that scenario? Start charging based on click instead of conversion? I guess. Yeah. Or the other obvious one, which we've talked about, is figure out a different way to get the click ID into the website, like through the path or something like that. Yeah. But it's a big problem. Yeah. Well, we're not there yet. And this statement, I will add an asterisk to this. Anything can change in the future, but it doesn't seem that WebKit or Safari, they're not making changes weekly to like their the versions aren't rolled out weekly. So they're typically large versions that'll roll out over several month periods or twice a year. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like every six months or so we see something big, even less frequently. Yeah. So maybe we can just touch on how big of an impact this is having. So so we did a little bit of research, started tracking what percentage of people in Safari are in private browsing mode? Because if they're in private browsing mode, their GTM container is going to be blocked. So never mind just the click IDs, but the Google Tag Manager container will be blocked. And it looks like, so my guess originally was like, I was thinking 5%. That's what I was thinking. Like, what did you think? Well, maybe to, before we get in the weeds, just we'll just share back over a second, iOS 17. So with, with iOS 17 and what's the... What's the WebKit version? There's a related version. So it's Safari. I think it's Safari 17. Yeah, okay. So it's 17 across the board. WebKit, for those that don't know, that's essentially the the brains that powers Safari and a few other browsers. It's obviously iOS 17 is your Apple device. Safari 17 can be on a Mac or an iPad. And what John is referencing with Google Tag Manager, there's a list of known, quote unquote, known trackers. And this list of known trackers is I think they use the DuckDuckGo known tracker list. It's either DuckDuckGo or Brave. But anyways, there's a list of known trackers. It's it's going to be your Facebooks and Googles, and there's a host of them. And in private browsing, so as part of the iOS 17 rollout and Safari 17, there's this instance of private browsing where... When you're in private browsing, now Apple is automatically blocking "quote unquote" known trackers, and I, th- I don't, I should have had the actual name pull up, or maybe we'll include a, sc- a link to a screenshot in the show notes. But it's in your settings. If you have an iPhone, go to settings, Safari, advanced, and then I think it's privacy or security, and then you'll see the the option there to again block known trackers while browsing in private mode. So that brought up, that's the, I would say, when we take a step back from the 30,000 of you with a quote-unquote iOS 17 or Safari 17, there's the link tracking protection. That's one big thing. And then there's the private browsing and the automatic blocking of known trackers. So that's the the piece that we're talking about now. So then the question is, okay, what is a known tracker and what's what's the impact of that? Obviously, the world of Google, the Google Tag Manager JS is also part of their Google Tag. So that is the block list. It's a Google script. So it's on the, it's going to be blocked automatically if someone has that setting enabled to block known trackers in private mode. 
I forgot what your original question was. I just wanted to just paint like step step back for a minute because sometimes we realize everyone's not in the weeds reading about all this stuff on a daily basis like we are. So then that immediately brought the question of, okay, what percentage of people on Safari or on iOS are in private browsing mode? Mm -hmm. And then the question was, okay, well, what's out of that percentage, what percentage of instances are we seeing Google Tag Manager blocked? And then what's that aggregate percentage roll up? So if out of 100% of traffic, what percentage is in private browsing? Is it 10% in private browsing in Safari? So what does that make up in aggregate? And aggregate, that means 5% of browsing. And then what percentage in aggregate are we seeing GTM blocked? So that was some of the data and, and research that we're that John alluded to that we've been tracking the last couple of months. Yeah, and, and I was asking you what you thought in terms of how many people before you saw this data, how many people, what percentage of people in Safari did you think would be in private browsing mode? Because we have a number now that's probably relatively accurate. Yeah. Well, last time we talked about this on the last episode, you gave me a couple of zingers with private browsing in iOS 17. <laughs> Why would people be in private browsing in the first place? I was thinking, I mean, this I'm not BSing. I was thinking 10 to 15% was probably normal. I was probably a bit higher than others on the team. And we're, we've been talking about this last few months. But yeah, I was thinking for four people that are in Safari, 10 to 15% of browsing is done in private mode. And that's basically what we found, but it's on the high end of that. So roughly 15%, looks like roughly 15% of people in Safari are in private browsing mode. So let's take let's step back a couple, and thanks for stepping me back. What this means is, hypothetically, if everyone is using the latest version of Safari, probably 50% of your website traffic is Safari traffic. So that means... In a sense, you may have just lost 7.5% of your traffic in, in the sense of being able to track them. So that's, I don't know, to some people that might sound like a lot. Some people it might sound like a little, but in my opinion, that's very significant. It's a problem. Yeah. And that's the, when you start thinking about the, the so what questions of, okay, should we rush to move our Facebook pixel or Google Ads tag out of GTM and hard code them back into your theme that liquid or use the native the like a native app or the Google own app that particular point is likely one that could get misconstrued because Facebook's on the block list so it doesn't matter if Facebook lo loading through GTM or loading through theme.liquid or loading through the native Facebook app or any other means if it's trying to to cross like run in the browser so client side it's going to be blocked regardless same thing with Google Ads, same thing with some of the others that are on this list. But I think the, the area where people would potentially consider is if they have any scripts that are not on the known tracker, known block list that are in GTM, then that's probably the opportunity where, okay, just don't have it in GTM and, and look look at a different means to, to have that run on site. Yep, some architectural design things that need to be considered. Uh, having said that, all that, and we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll let us out of this topic right away, but there are some ways that Elevar does kind of get around this because we would still pick up, if you, if you land on a page and add something to the cart, let's say your Facebook event script would be blocked and we won't have a click ID in this scenario that we're talking about, worst case, but we will still get a server event for that page view and add to cart and potentially purchase. And we may even have an email address. Well, if they do the purchase, we're going to have the email address, but we may even have an email address prior to the purchase. So 
we are we do in some sense work around these things and it, that hasn't been, I don't know, it's not intentional, but it's just a side effect of how the system's built. But we are sort of getting around some of this stuff. We can't get around it all, but you know, it's something that our system helps with and that will improve further over time. Yeah. It's just, it's one more reason. And I, I think most of the market, especially our, our customers listening to this, that's why you are moving your tracking server side in the first place. So and trying to do as much server-side data collection and server-side processing versus just client-side data collection and processing those events server-side. So the more that can collect those events through different means outside the browser, they can still be sent and quote-unquote try to make you whole outside yep. of these percentage gaps. Yeah, A lot going on right now with Holiday. You'll see a lot more on this topic from us over the next few weeks and months as the year ends. And it actually reminded me of our release that we went live with last week that I'll do another plug for our customers are listening, which is our grouping, our event grouping. John, you are from all the fans that are listening to this podcast. You are unanimous in being able to better articulate and explain things in a very clear and concise manner. So event grouping, do you want to uh, give everyone a quick explanation on what this is? Hmm, yeah, okay, sure. So we'll talk about the purchase event only. Okay. There's different sources of a purchase. You have the purchase that happens in the web browser and a tag that fires based on it. But then Elevar also listens to the purchase event that happens in the Shopify servers. We're listening directly to the servers and listening for orders. It has nothing to do with the browser. And then on top of that, there's another event that Shopify sends us. So there's really three different purchase events that come in. Prior to this change, we were just using what we considered to be the best event in terms of data. Yeah, so it was a binary. It's like, do we want to send the event from the this API or this API? Or potentially the, the customer would have to choose. Do they want to send it from the client or they want to send it from the server? Exactly, yeah. So what we're doing now is because there's information each of these events contains slightly different information. Little bits are available in one, but not the other. For example, a good, a good example is a category. The category of the product in Shopify is not in the webhook. So, and there's lots of those little one, little examples. So what we're doing now is instead of picking, we're actually consolidating. So we're waiting for all of them for the most part. There's, there's some nuance here, but let's just say, keep it simple. We're waiting for them all to come in. We're picking the best data out of every event. And then we're building this super event and sending the super event to the channels or destinations, which has more information. And that super event isn't finished. Let's put it that way. It's going to continue to collect more and more data and we'll be able to send more and more information to the channels you're connected to. So let's, let's describe that in this private browsing scenario. So we'll start with Google Chrome. So someone's not in private browsing, Google Chrome, someone places an order. We get the uh, server-side hit from Shopify that has a bunch of data. We also receive an event through the Pixel API, and we also get the event from the client, from the browser. So in that instance, we have three purchase events. We combine the data from all three. And so if, let's say, we default to the data from the server event, but it's missing, like you said, item category, or let's, let's say it's missing EM information or a Facebook cookie, then we'll, we'll look at those other two events. So see, do we have it from the browser or from the Pixel API? And then we'll, we'll combine that with the server event and then send it. 
So in that, that instance, it works great. It's, it's that super event. But if we flip to the private browsing, so in the private browsing example, let's say we don't get the hit from the client because everything's blocked, but we do get an event from either the pixel API or the server event. So in that case, we only have one or two out of the three or X number of events that we could potentially pull from, we're still sending, we're still able to send that event where in, before this existed, we would not send that event because we're looking at one source only. So that that is, as we get into the end of this year and, and into 2024, as we continue to expand on this, this is, in my opinion, one of the biggest, I think it's, it's one of the biggest innovations for us that might go a little bit under the radar, but it just falls directly in line with our, our mission for our customers is, number one, sending 100% of events and conversions to every destination connected in Elevar, and number two, ensuring that we send each one of those events with a maximum customer, session, order, product, attribution data possible, and having this ability to combine different sources to cover for some of those use cases where it's blocked in this scenario or it's not available in iOS 17 or whatever it might be, it helps us overcome some of those those shortcomings. So it's not a binary decision for our customers. Yep. And we were really good at uh, underselling new features. We're, we're actually the best at it, I think. Yeah. Don't worry. This one, this one, uh, we we're talking about like, how do we visualize this? And without naming names, we're, we're talking about like looking at different images and ideas. I was like, I don't know. I just, I think of the universe and there's four different asteroids you know, flying out there, the different conversion events and they all collide together and they make the super asteroid and that's the conversion event. Still waiting for that to be designed and uh, creating an animation around that. Hopefully that's coming soon. Oh God. <laughs> well, I hope we made it clear what we're doing. Yeah. All right. Add block down. Next topic, ad block crackdown privacy. I'll let you take this one. Yeah, I read an interesting article recently, and this is happening in Europe, but I always I always think that it's going to be, it's kind of like a prelude to what happens in North America and other countries. So Google's trying to block ad blockers on YouTube right now. I guess it's a new initiative for them. And someone in Europe is saying that in order to detect whether someone's using an ad blocker or not, they need to pull information from my browser that they're not allowed to pull unless I've given them consent. So this the details are probably unimportant, but it's information about what the person's looking at, essentially, and how the browser's working. So if that is, and it, it looks, it's hard to argue with. Like if you look at the legal language, I'm not going to read it out, but it's essentially, if you do not need this information for functionality of the website, you need permission to surface it. So I guess this automatically leads me to think about fingerprinting and pulling information from a browser because unfortunately, the mention of fingerprinting, I realize probably needs a bit of a discussion, but really simply, it's kind of like what it sounds like. It's recognizing somebody in a browser without any cookie information. So it's kind of like, it's, it's almost like recognizing a face, I would say. It's similar to that. It, it, that's kind of what it is. It's like, do we recognize this person by all their attributes? Yeah. And if we do, we'll consider them this particular user ID. But in order to do that, and lots of people rely on this, lots of tracking companies will rely on fingerprinting technology, and it's a cool technology. But to do it, you need to pull information from the browser that you definitely don't need for the functionality of the website. You just don't. You don't need to know why a particular function runs in a certain amount of time or why you know a particular element is displayed. You just can't argue for that. 
So I'm very curious about where the fingerprinting world is going to go if this gains traction, and it looks like it will. Got thoughts on that? Nope. It'll turn this episode into a long, a long one. <laughs> what's what's the TLDR for YouTube? I don't. I think it's undecided right now. They're blocking ad blockers, and it's successful. And it sounds like it's going to go to court, and we'll find out whether. YouTube's actually allowed to detect whether you're using an ad blocker or not in the future. Right, because naturally Google wants to block ad blockers, so ad blockers don't block ads that Google is monetizing. And our, the audience listening to this, you are paying to distribute your content and try to reach more customers. All right, well, I won't, won't take the bait on that one and, and go deep off into fingerprinting land because that will be another, that'll be a 40-minute episode on its own. What about, we already we touched on the direct traffic GA4 bug. Yeah. Is there anything in just web view silos? We have this as a topic, anything? Yeah, yeah. Another just little quirk that I've discovered over the last couple of weeks, when you click on an ad in Instagram or in Facebook, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but over time I've noticed a change where sometimes your ad will open in a web view. And a web view is basically a browser inside the app you're in. You probably recognize it if you saw it. It doesn't actually open Safari, let's say. It, it opens this little mini browser. Over time, it's switched back and forth. And I don't know the reasoning about like why this happens. Sometimes it'll actually send you over to Safari and open the ad and open the page. And sometimes it will open the web view. But what I've been noticing lately is we're back to the world where we're getting ads opened in web views, which means inside the app. And the consequence of that is the cookies don't transfer to Safari, like the, the, the Safari browser that you're in that you may actually make the purchase in. So this doesn't necessarily matter for, it goes back to what we're talking about, about email address and the bigger companies not really needing the click IDs and the cookies as much as the affiliate type companies because they can recognize you by email. But it just got me thinking about, you know, affiliate links in Instagram and, you know, somebody clicks on an influencer's link, they explore the page in the web view in Instagram, and then like a day later or something, they go and buy the product in Safari. That's not making it through. Like that that affiliate link would never be tracked. It just can't be. The cookies won't transfer. The click IDs won't be there. It's going to look like a brand new visitor to that site. So I don't know if you've ever messed around with that. Like I had to pull up the Safari debugger, which I didn't even know you could do. And you can actually see the cookies that are being stored to confirm this. But yeah, kind of, it makes you really think about like how under, maybe how underappreciated affiliates and, and other ad platforms that don't have the ability to track by email probably are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And are you just, are you hooking up your phone to your laptop and then being able to essentially browse, simulate mobile traffic on your phone, but you can actually do the inspection through your laptop? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. So I'm like clicking on a link in Instagram, going to the site and then going to the same site in Safari and seeing if it recognizes me. You can test this just by adding something to your cart in Safari or sorry, in the web view. And then if you look in Safari, it won't be there. Yeah. We should do a demo how to do that for those listening that enjoys getting deep in the weeds and that type of debugging. Yeah. Just all these little nooks and crannies where things get lost and you would never expect it until you're really in the weeds and then you realize, wow, I think the, a very common message is just like many ad platforms are underappreciated because of these kinds of things. Yeah. 
All right, we'll wrap up. You had two two hot questions for me, and then I, I got to hop to a call. So these are going to be quick answers. What do you got? Okay, sure. So first one is, if Safari traffic in GA4 is so messed up, essentially, because of all the issues we have with Safari, do you think it's worthwhile doing analysis just on Chrome traffic, excluding Safari completely when you're doing you know analysis on attribution and returning users and stuff like that? Because the potential of in private browsing, we're losing you some click IDs. Not uh, not for GA four since UTMs aren't blocked. Well, okay, let's let's take this outside the world of Elevar. Let's assume that you're you have Safari without the help of the modifications we make to user IDs. Do you think it makes sense to eliminate a whole host, maybe fifty percent of your traffic, to get a clearer view? Because you're going to have a lot of like user fragmentation if you're not if you don't have a stable user ID, right? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't block completely, but segmenting out would be the first step, and segmenting out by version as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Not to block completely, but would you do an analysis just on Chrome traffic? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's similar in email flows where certain maybe more sophisticated brands and their email flows or maybe it's more automated now but after i think it was ios 15 or 16 with some of the where open rates are basically they're useless now because there's gonna be an image that's prefetched, so it artificially inflates open rates for certain mail clients you'll see a lot of flows will be broken out doing if then conditions based on the mail client and then the analysis is broken out separately for those as well so i would see that as a similar similar first step yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, that's exactly what I'm getting at, that kind of analysis. I'm going to let you go. The next one's just too long to get into, and I realize we've been going for too long, so I'll let you go. It was it was great catching up. These are our catch-ups to not only podcasts, but our catch-ups. All right, so we're not going to tease. The, the next one is a good one, so you have to uh, tune in for the next episode to hear the, man, this is a fireball question, John. Yeah. <laughs> I'm terrible at teasing out. All right. Hopefully this is good. Thanks for listening. John, thanks as always for bringing your wisdom and great analogies like the fingerprinting barcode analogy. See you in the next one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. In order to help spread the word and just support the podcast, if you enjoyed this episode, share it on Twitter, share it on LinkedIn, send it to colleagues, or just send me feedback. I love reading feedback. I appreciate it. Many of the guests that have been on here, they've just emailed saying, hey, I'd love to join. Here's some topics. That could be you. Just shoot me an email or hit me up on LinkedIn. My email is brad at getelevar.com. And if you enjoy this podcast and you want to give us a rating, I would appreciate that as well. You can rate us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you are listening to this. But at the end of the day, if you could just share this and let others learn more about the world that you live in, the world that I live in with e-commerce and conversion tracking, I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.